Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Welcome to the Waco History Podcast. I'm Randy Lane, great-grandson of Waco architect Roy E. Lane. Over 100 years ago, he designed the Alico Building, Hippodrome, and other well-known landmarks. My co-host, Dr. Stephen Sloan of Baylor's Institute for Oral History, is helping me learn Waco's known and unknown stories. On this episode, Waco's first troll. The more and more brand roasts Waco, and in particular Baylor, the more and more they fight back, the more and more he gets material. Bradley T. Turner returns to the studio to talk about William Cowper Brand. Pop! Shoots him right in the back, right where the suspenders cross. And now, join us on a trip into Waco's past. Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco I'm safe when I reach San Antonio well, we got our first second time podcast guest here tonight, Stephen. We've got Bradley T. Turner in the studio again. Welcome. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty pretty nervous. I made it out once alive, <laughs> and now now I'm back for round two. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. So stop now and go back and listen to episode four, where Brad was talking about haunted places. And yeah, the goat wake man. Up. And the goat. And the goat man. <laughs> this is a teaser. <laughs> so, who are we talking about today? I was asked to come and talk a little bit about Waco's favorite <laughs> son, uh, William Cowper Bran. Okay. Who made some choices with his career, <laughs> which were a little bit questionable. Landed him in Oakwood, so... That's right. And don't you do the walking? Don't you do the? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, so. uh, it's called Walking Tales yeah. with the Heart of Texas Storytellers Guild. That's right. Uh, usually every year I tell Brand's story. Yeah. And uh, I'll just go ahead and say that was originally not my idea. <laughs> um, this past year, I've been doing it about 10 years. The first meeting before they'd ever done the event, there were about 10 people or so sitting around a table, and they were trying to figure out, oh, let me just give you a quick intro to what it is. Okay. Um, the Storytellers Guild Walking Tales is where they do living interpretations and, and presentations, public history, mm -hmm. for Oakwood Cemetery. And people show up dressed in, usually in period costume or in attire and tell the story of somebody who's buried there. They were trying to hit all the highlights of important local Wacoans who were buried there. There was a list they were going over and we get to Bran and I hadn't even planned, to be honest with you, I hadn't even planned to participate like 10 years ago. But apparently by showing up by default, I sort of became a member and now I love it and I'm really glad I get to do it. But they're all like, someone needs to do Bran and everybody stops and they turn and look at me. <laughs> it's like, wait, you mean you mean the guy who got shot? The guy who got shot for saying stuff? And they're, uh, yeah, yeah, you'd be you'd be great. You'd be great. <laughs> People would want to like, shoot you. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I was like, so how how much interpretation and reenactment kind of thing are we talking here? No, I agreed to do it. And learn more about Brand's story. Have done it pretty much every year ever since, unless I was sick or something like that happened. So do you want to kind of run through it like you do on the walking tour, or do you want to just kind of tell his story? Because it'd be kind of fun either way. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I can kind of <laughs> I can go through it uh, and kind of tell a little bit about Brand and his his whole background. First off, everybody debates on how to pronounce his name. Some people call him Braun. Some people call him Brand. Uh, I call him Brand because. I don't know, it just looks like Bran to me. Um, <laughs> so if you want to call him Bran, that's okay too. <laughs> Though some local nerds will argue with you about the correct pronunciation of the name. Whatever. Uh, so I call him Bran. Bran was born in 1855 on the 4th of January in Humboldt, Illinois. His dad was a minister. His mom died when he was about two and a half years old. Right after his mom died, his dad, uh, to my knowledge, he didn't have any siblings. 
His dad, who was sort of a circuit preacher at the time, couldn't really have this preschool age, you know, three-year-old, two-and-a-half, three-year-old kid going with him while he's out attending to all these churches and all these people. So he so he asked one of his families in his one of his churches to sort of raise his son. So they, they adopted him. Yeah, so he's sort of an orphan, sort of not. I mm. mean, his dad's a minister, but also sort of drifts in and out of his life, sort of like a deadbeat dad, you know, where he comes <laughs> in, he goes back out, and until uh, really about 1868 or so, right after the war. He's about 13 years old. He was in about third grade. And he just decided that he'd had enough. He wanted to see the world. He wanted to get out. He hated the farm. So he loaded all of his possessions in a little carton and uh, headed for what people think was St. Louis. And, and when you think about it, it's 1868. The war's over. Everybody's trying to get out of the South if they can. Everybody's trying to get even out of the North. Everyone's so in love with the American West that if you were a teenage boy who's wanting to start over, disappear, St. Louis is your place. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to disappear as a runaway, what better place to go? Hmm. So it's believed that Brand went there. In St. Louis, he tried his hand at a wide variety of stuff. He tried being a painter, not like Van Gogh kind of painter, but like <laughs> your house needs painting kind of painter. He yeah. tried being a grainer. He even worked for a while for the railroad, just trying his hand at different stuff. And he really didn't find his calling until he got a little bit older. Met his wife. They got they got hitched together and tried to live the farm life kind of thing for a little while. Just drove him nuts. Uh, he he always had an opinion about something. He was always wanting. He was always reading. Always wanting to write and interact. So he uh, started doing a lot of editorial work for journalism and papers. Just as a point of reference, this is a time period in American history when journalism was at its sort of really starting to hit its initial climb hmm. because now suddenly paper's cheap. Books had always been the mark of the elite, but now there's paper stuff everywhere. Literacy is on the rise. If you want any kind of news distributed, it's always a pamphlet or a newspaper. Uh, there's no real other way for news to get across. So talking about like his background, does he have a background in journalism or writing at all? No. Third grade education, that was it. Okay. Other than that, it was just him being a smart aleck about virtually everything <laughs> and wanting to find some outlet to use. The standard thing I say is that if Brand were alive right now, Twitter would be his weapon of choice. <laughs> be a troll. Yes, absolutely. And he was, he was sort of like an internet troll before that was ever even a century before remotely becoming a thing. Well, you guys are teasing me. I want to know what kind of stuff he was saying. Oh, we'll don't, get to that. We'll okay. get to that. I won't rush yeah. you. I won't rush yeah, you. Yeah, okay. don't, don't worry. That's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what got him out there under that oak tree. It's sort of he, he and his wife start a family. They have one daughter. And they have another daughter. And they have a son. It's at this point that he starts sort of trying his hand at editorial work. He doesn't like farm life, wants to live in the city. Journalism's on the rise. And, of course, you have yellow journalism and all that. So he sort of starts taking all these different jobs working for newspapers. And newspaper life is always a challenging one. Now, in particular, in the digital age, you see it changing the different ways in which they have to sell ads or to keep things afloat. At that point, it was highly competitive. Any type of journalism you wanted to deal with had to deal with writing. So he would take different positions, a very nomadic style life, moving every few months to year, all over the place, but lots of places really in Texas. So you find him in places like Austin, in Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, of course, Waco later, and then randomly St. Louis every now and then again, moving the family back and forth. And most of the time, the reason why Brand would always find problems was because he would do more editorial work than he would reporting. And so, <laughs> so just to clarify for our audience, I'm no journalism major, but there's really... Two main types, uh, from what I can tell, and if I'm wrong on this, feel free to roast me in the comments. There is informative Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am, dragnet style reporting, and then there's editorial, which is opinion pieces. The brand's problem, really, with keeping a gig was his consistency of wanting to do more opinion pieces than local news reporting. Mm -hmm. Time and time again, that's where he often found himself. This is reflective of why he moved around so much, man. Uh, yes. <laughs> Make yes. some enemies. 
Yes, uh, made a lot of enemies, often would irritate people who own the paper, <laughs> things like that, by not necessarily keeping his mouth shut. And he had several different situations of personal tragedy as well. So was he doing like actual reporting and embellishing or was he doing like op-ed type of stuff where everyone knew this was his opinion and he was just putting it out there? Or was he like faking stuff, doing fake news? I don't completely know 100%, but I'm going to guess it's too much op-ed. And what he was doing was spending too much time interpreting what had happened while he reported it. Granted, Mm. we don't have any news outlets that do that now. So it's it's very difficult. It's hard to understand. Yeah, Yeah, it's very difficult for anyone today to relate to anything like that. And depending upon which side of the aisle you sit on is which one you say is the culprit. But... Mm Most of the time, it would be different things occurring that he might put a little too much of his own taste into. Mm -hmm. And since he didn't really have an outlet to voice those things, that's where he starts getting more creative with his own editorial journals and things like that. So if you have problems with publishers and you move from place to place and you want to continue to write your op-ed, what's the solution? <sighs> Twitter. Twitter is the best, <laughs> the or you, best solution. Or you can start your own paper, right? You can. Yeah. You can. Uh, but the problem is papers only work when people read them. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of to put some context in here, Brand also had experienced uh, levels of personal tragedy. Perhaps the the one that is the, the biggest influence, or I would argue was the biggest influence, was the death of his oldest daughter, Uh, He was living in Houston, and of course, a little bit slightly arrogant guy, a little bit sort of obsessed with his work, rather sharp with his tongue and his pen, which is his number one gift as well as his number one downfall. It's like a classic Greek tragedy. But he got into an argument with his oldest daughter, who was named Inez, who they called Dottie. Dottie was a teenage girl, about 13 years old or so. Again, firstborn, oldest girl. Brand noticed that there was this there was this teenage boy who kept hanging out around the house like teenage boys do. He would like poke his head in the window or see him walking by. And I don't necessarily know if like peeping Tom style, but I don't know if it wasn't either. He was just just this some guy hanging around wanting to talk to his daughter. And one night he and Brand and his daughter got in a fight and he says, he says, why don't you tell the little fool to quit haunting the place? You know, if you if you wouldn't talk to him so much, he'd go away. And she said, I've never talked to him before at all. I don't know who he is or what he wants or why he's around. They got into, it escalated. And he says, listen, you know, our daughter lies to us. You're lying to us about this. And they went to bed angry. Well, the next morning they wake up and there's a note on the table. Uh, The note on the table says, dear mom or mama, it's not addressed to her dad. By the time you read this, I will be dead. I took all the morphine in the medicine cabinet. I mean, do keep in mind this is a time period where you can just buy morphine at the store. I took all the morphine and says to the effect, I'm sorry I'm never be as good as you. I hope that God will take me to heaven and give all my toys and all my things to Gracie, who was her sister. She had gone in the backyard and fallen asleep in the hammock, and that was it. Well, at this point, Brand sort of blames himself for the death, for the argument, and for Dottie's suicide. And it messes with him because he uh, he doesn't write or talk about it much. He does once or twice, and then he just sort of blocks it out. Instead of using that time as a reflection, instead of using that to sort of uh, refocus his efforts, he instead dives even deeper into his work. Yeah. And it's at that point that he sort of even, out of that pain, blocks out almost his family interactions even more And that's when he starts looking for an outlet, an outlet like an editorial journal. So a few months later, he takes his family, he moves them from Houston to Austin, and that's whenever he decides to start up, not too long after that, as some sort of creative outlet, that's when he starts really getting into his own editorial writing, which he calls the Austin Iconoclast. Mm -hmm. And no one cares. Nobody reads it. I mean, there's there's a hundred newspapers out there. What makes yours so special? He runs several different series with it. All of them just sort of, no one cares. Just like, again, I'll reference Twitter today. If everybody's trying to have a voice, nobody can hear anything. Mm-hmm. Get on there with your 20, you know, your 20 followers or whatever, most of which are your fam and a couple are bots. And <laughs> at that point... He gets frustrated because he'd taken his whole life savings to buy this press for around mm, two or three hundred dollars. Again, nothing happens. Nobody cares. So he, so he sells it to a friend of his, William Sidney Porter, 
who's uh, O. Henry. O. Henry at that point decides to start up his own little little piece called uh, Rolling Stone. It bombs as well. Over the next few years, Brand just sort of keeps traveling around, and he eventually ends up in Waco, working for the Waco Daily News as the main editor. He's been in Waco not too long. He gets kind of bored. Porter has his own problems, you know. That's one thing everyone knows about O. Henry is he, he definitely had his own issues as well. And if you don't know about that, that's what Wikipedia is for, kids. Um, <laughs> and so Brand buys back the, the press, the rights to the iconoclast. And it's at this point, Brand's in Waco. He's bored. He wants to spend some time roasting local institutions pointing out hypocrisies and decides to give it another go. And this is the setting stage for the iconoclast that we're the most familiar with. Yeah. So this is February of 1895 when he starts up again. Yeah. Yep. Is it the Waco iconoclast now? It's just the iconoclast. Just the the iconoclast. iconoclast. Okay. It's his, his journal where he's writing about things in which he finds hypocrisies and how much he enjoys pointing out other people's flaws and problems. He gains a reputation for being anti pretty much everything. And he, he, he is. He's pretty much anti everything uh, at some point or another, though he'll tell you he's not. <laughs> uh, he's extremely racist, extremely sexist. Then other times he might have moments of clarity, if you will, where he takes a different approach. He's all over the place. But he starts to soon figure out that the only way you sell newspapers is if you put some crazy stuff in there. So different today. <clears throat> yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. I mean, I don't I don't know anyone who do anything like that today. And this time he does sell newspapers. He yeah. eventually yeah. he does. Yeah. But it all sort of starts whenever a group of local Baptist ministers in particular and Baylor faculty at that time invite an ex-priest to come speak, who married an ex-nun named Joseph Slattery. And uh, they invite him to come speak for a couple of days at Garland's Opera House. And Bran, before it ever happens, decides to make a few comments in his iconoclast about Slattery, the iconoclast that nobody's really reading at this point. On day number two, when Slattery's talking, shows up in his his formal, very formal, very rigid-looking suit, very official, decides to... Take a swipe at Brand's newspaper. Now, okay, let's just sort of set the context here very quickly. Let's go ahead and talk about that sad little blog you started seven years ago. The one nobody read. You know what I'm talking about? Of course you do, because everybody did that. Everyone had their own sad little blog that nobody really paid any attention to. And let's say that your sad little blog was satire and you being a smart aleck and you pointing out hypocrisies everywhere and you're looking for some material to put in your blog so so you say i'm gonna go to this speaking event with this guy who uh who i don't agree with who i think is gonna say some crazy stuff and you get there and the main keynote speaker suddenly starts talking about your blog My first response would be, wait, you read that? (laughs) And to an extent, I suspect Brand's somewhat starstruck. Even though he is the editor of the newspaper, even though he has his own little editorial piece going now, the fact that the keynote speaker, who's been brought in and paid for multiple days, knows enough to take a swing at him, I think suddenly starts lending him credibility. Nobody else in Waco would have cared at all about what some random guy from Illinois had to say who'd run a bunch of newspapers. I mean, it's just just another random journalist guy. But when Slattery starts taking a swing at him, Brand's ready. So he Mm. stands up in Garland's Opera House, just like a, a heckler at open mic night at the comedy club, and immediately just stands up calmly... And starts talking to the keynote speaker right there in the middle of Garland's. In doing so, steals the thunder from Slattery, really sort of introduces himself to Waco. He tells Slattery, they engage, and Slattery's like, well, if I'd have known this was going to be a debate, we'd have charged double on the way in or something. <laughs> and people start laughing, and, and Brand's like, Slattery was saying how he's pro-Pope and pro-Catholic and all these other things. And 
brands like it's not that I'm for or against any one religion or any one thing. I'm against hypocrisy. Long story short, that's what he says. Well, manager of the opera house shows up, is about to escort him out. Brand stops at the door and blows Slattery a kiss. When he does, the whole place just sort of erupts. Slattery's, at that point, nobody's really listening to him. And besides, uh, uh, on the other side of the alleyway, there's a... There's alcohol being served, and so even though they're all good Baptists, uh, it, it wasn't <laughs> Sunday morning. That's sort of how Brand starts to get introduced. Everybody, mm. he takes his next iconoclast, and he just runs a full rant against Slattery. And in doing so, everybody wants to know what he has to say. I would argue that if Slattery hadn't said a word about Brand at that situation, nobody would have cared. He'd have just remained some other incidental person. But by by the main keynote speaker, guest coming in, like, wow, you read my blog? I mean, it's that same sort of thing. First, I'd be a little bit starstruck. And then after that, I'd use that blog to then torpedo. People want to know what it's all about. So suddenly... People start caring about what the iconoclast is printing. That's not really what gets Brand in a lot of trouble. <laughs> what local institutions could he mock and make fun of? Oh, yeah. let, me, let me think. <laughs> What's a large institution in Waco that sometimes has some controversial problems? <laughs> hmm. Well, the one he picked was Baylor. And he, in particular, started to notice... Lots of different controversies associated with the administration at Baylor University. Mm. Now, keep in mind, this is a, a different time for Baylor. Uh, granted, Old Main was still there. Um, but he would sort of point out different issues here and there. But the, the big one, the one that really, that really just got the iconoclast going hardcore, involved... A teenage girl named Antonia, who was about 13 years old from Brazil, she had come to Baylor in Waco to learn to be a missionary. And while there, was sort of entrusted and was working at Rufus Burleson's house. Rufus Burleson being the president of Baylor. I mean, there's a statue of him out there in the quad. And also a senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Waco. Suddenly, uh, An Antonia becomes pregnant. Mm. She doesn't say that's Burleson's baby or anything, but it is, and I always get this mixed up because it's sort of like one of those very distantly related sort of things. It's like a son-in-law's brother? No, it was his son-in-law. Steen Morris was his name. Ah, he was the one that was accused of an yes. inappropriate relationship. Yeah. Yes, that he was the one who had, Allegedly. Who had done it. Yeah. Well... They instead say that, no, it was a servant boy who was African-American. He's the one who is the father of the unborn child. Well, a few months later, Antonia gives birth to a very healthy, very white child. And uh, there's a trial that goes on not long after that. Of course, Mr. Morris is found not guilty. But in the process, Antonia is also kicked out of the house. Oh, what is it? For being boy crazy? Wasn't that the, yeah. the exact quote? <laughs> I believe the exact quote was being boy crazy. Wow. Well, Brand takes hold of this thing like a bulldog. So there's a, a, a girl who's studying to be a missionary entrusted to the president of a Baptist college who suddenly becomes pregnant, finds her accuser, and instead of being embraced, instead of being cared for, educated, is kicked out on the street. And whenever it has a direct tie to the president of the university, that's suddenly now when it's a problem. And keep in mind, we're dealing with a long period of time. We have an entire pregnancy. We have a trial, a long, full calendar year plus, where every week, Brand can go over and over and over and over all the details as he sees them in his editorial. So it gets to where people subscribe to Bran and his iconoclast for the same reason you may follow people you don't like on Twitter. And I, and I don't mean to keep referencing Twitter, but it's just same reason you may, you may follow people you don't like. It isn't because you agree with them. You just want to know what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And in the case of Bran, you want to know what he's saying isn't about you because it probably is at some point. So he becomes more and more aggressive with his criticisms of Baylor. Different people in Waco either defend him or 
don't like him at all. Additional people even get into scuffles and get shot over this whole situation. And it's all because of Bran's criticisms of Baylor is what really mm-hmm. eventually does him in. Yeah, and his circulation gets up around 100,000. I mean, it grows yeah. Oh, wow. dramatically. Yeah. yeah. And when things are getting really crazy, he had just paid cash for a house, about 14 grand at the time. He bought a really nice house, paid cash for it, had no no really uh, incentive or no real intentions, there's the word, of leaving town or moving. So he's he's sort of both drawing in a lot of money and he doesn't really need the outside or need Waco that much anymore to support him because everyone all over the country he has international subscribers reading him because what he says is just so out there but at the same time his primary source material is drawing more and more of a divide amongst locals so he becomes equally hated while he becomes rich. Yeah, there's nobody neutral on Bran. No, you yeah. either really like him or you really don't. Yeah. And uh, and it may vary from month to month as to how many people like him, uh, and it probably gets slightly smaller uh, every time he takes another swipe at mm-hmm. somebody. Yeah. Eventually, while he is making his comments on Baylor, he has a friend, one of them who gets in a, a gunfight. Again, if you, he's like, uh, hey, do, do you carry a gun? Bran didn't even own a gun. He's just walking around doing his thing like he owns the town. Didn't even own a gun. Lives in the place they call Six Shooter Junction and doesn't own a gun. So his friend loans him a Colt 41 pistol, not a 45, a 41, which is on display at the Redmond Museum. If you go uh, down New Road and look over right across from Waco's main football stadium, WISD Stadium. You'll see a red brick building, kind of looks like Monticello tucked over there. That's the Redmond Museum. I believe they're open during normal business hours. You can see Brand's gun in a case. There's actually uh, two other guns in there, too, that were associated with this. Now, he starts carrying a gun, and it's about that same time that he gets kidnapped. A group of Baylor frat boys show up, uh, not happy about what's been about what's been said. They show up, they tie his hands, they grab his gun. I mean, he's carrying it right there in the front of his pants like a gangster. (laughs) Fetch his revolver and uh, proceed to just totally beat the tar out of him. They say they horsewhip him, they hit him with his own, you know, borrowed pistol a little bit, and uh, they make him sign a piece of paper where he agrees to leave town within a week. (laughs) I mean... I mean, c- come on, man. Give, give me a break. Uh, at this point, Bran's in his early 40s, okay? Uh, at the time he dies, he's 43. So so it's like Bran's in his early 40s. A bunch of late teen, early 20s guys show up. It's like, hey, you're going to leave town. They make him sign it. And in the process of doing so, Bran, of course, signs it. Uh, after he's all beat up and red from his own blood, manages to slip away. Uh, granted, they, I, I believe they even break his wrist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a brutal beating. Yeah, yeah like hardcore. Mm-hmm. Manages to still slip away, hop on a horse, and when he rides away, he, he yells, Truth will rise. You can knock it to earth, but truth will always rise. Is that what you would say after getting just the crap beat out of you? I would, would say you, nothing if I was getting away. Would you? <laughs> I mean, would you hop in a Chevy and look out the window and yell, Truth will rise, and then drive away? <laughs> doesn't sound smart, but he doesn't sound like he says a lot of smart things. Well, actually, I would, I would say the problem is he says things that are way too smart. <laughs> but uh, so much, so much pride and arrogance of himself. Well, then... The police capture the guys. They come to Bran and they're like, "Hey, what do you wanna, what do you wanna do?" And he's like, "No, I'm not gonna press charges. No, I'm not gonna press charges. It's okay." And then he prints this full, this full article about, "Yeah, I said I was gonna leave town, but I'm not actually gonna leave town. I mean, I, I was, I was at gunpoint, and I like to, I like to imagine the gun turned sideways, like in an action movie." Like in a like in a Michael Bay film, uh, I guess that's the right director. I don't know. He does great historical treatments. Yeah. yeah. So, any points you wish to add? Like, is that? No, that that's good. Yeah, just his refusal. I mean, he's he's not scared. There's nothing stopping these guys from coming back. No. No. Well, you're, that's foreshadowing. Okay. Randy, yeah. Well, I don't know anything yet, so that's good. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure well, it out. Well, and I mean, he he gets beat up again. Like, oh, you just you wouldn't leave town, would you? And it's like like pe- people consistently show up and 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 beat the guy. This is this is all giving him content. 
I mean, yeah. you know, he's got a small pool of content he's pulling from. And so this is giving him content. Yep. And every time something happens, it's just more and more things he can write mm. about. More and more people want to subscribe. And again, it's the same concept as an internet troll. The troll has no power if you don't respond. The more and more brand roasts Waco, and in particular Baylor, mm-hmm. the more and more they fight back, the more and more he gets material. It's like some sort of a twisted judge's cycle. What ends up being his demise is he makes a comment that uh, apparently Baylor is, what, what is it, a manufactory for ministers and Magdalens. Yeah. Magdalens. Can you think of a more 19th century insult? <laughs> I don't even know what it means. <laughs> so, well, don't worry, you are not alone. Ministers and Magdalens. The Magdalene's comment is a reference to Mary Magdalene. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who was a friend of Jesus Christ and who was known to be a prostitute. So when he says Magdalene's, uh-huh. he says apparently he says apparently the Baylor administration feels their job is to manufacture ministers and Magdalene's. What he's saying in the case of Antonia is women to please them or essentially referring to all the women in that realm as prostitutes and Ooh. that's that's sort of what yeah what what does a man he he later goes back and kind of recants that and says my my goal wasn't to insult the ladies of Baylor I believe is even how he directly addresses mm. it not to insult the ladies of Baylor but to take a swing at the administration but by this point it's a little bit too late. There's this. There's this one guy in particular who's a works in real estate downtown. Tom Davis. Davis swears if I ever see that Bran, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot him. And so there's a story that Bran had sort of decided that he was gonna go on a speaking tour for a while. I mean, again, he's a pretty popular guy. Uh, he's gotten beat up a whole lot. Probably didn't have health insurance at that time. Different people getting shot here and there over the whole situation. And according to the story, he was going to buy tickets to leave, go out of town for yeah, a little bit of time. Yeah. And when he does, Davis looks out his office window or out, I don't know if he's having lunch or whatever, sees Bran across the street and goes out there and just pop, shoots him right in the back, right where the suspenders cross mm-hmm. on his back. Well, Bran turns around, quick draw, and kills Davis. Well, he shoots him right there in the street. Uh, Davis dies later. and But Bran, despite being shot in the torso, in the back, walks to the police station a few blocks away to give a statement to the police about the incident. Like a Han and Greedo situation, who shot first. In the process of doing so, the police notate that he's, he starts to look a little pale. He starts to sort of hunker over and his shoes filling up with blood. It's like, oh, wait, Bran got shot. So then they're like, hey, do you want a ride home? Should we give you a ride home? <laughs> so, so so, they take Bran home. I mean, again, this guy ain't well-loved. They take Bran home, and he dies that night, about 2 in the morning on the 2nd of April, 1898. Yeah. That's right, people. He was shot on April Fool's Day That's right. in downtown Waco. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they know he's shot. They can yeah. see all the symptoms there, and they, they don't say, do you want to go to a doctor? It's just, hey, what do you want to do? Well, I believe they give him the option, and he says, I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. And he goes home and dies. Davis dies that same day on the 2nd of April as well. So, I mean, they, they kill each other. But what's funny, if you can even say that about the whole situation, is it doesn't end there. The hatred for Bran is so strong, sticks around for so long, that they bury him over in Oakwood. Naturally, his family doesn't really want to stick around. His wife has lost her oldest daughter to suicide, her husband to murder, and has two children who are still surviving. So I believe they decide they're just going to up and go to California. It's hmm. like, yeah, let's, let's just start this whole process over. I think, I think it's California. But so then what happens is some of the people who really befriended Bran, who really supported him locally, decide to erect a very fancy tombstone. Well, when they bury Bran, if you go to Oakwood and you go find what's left of his tombstone, we'll get to that here in a few minutes, you notice he's way up in the front corner. Mm-hmm. And his is pretty much the oldest grave in the area, which means they were putting him as far out in the edge of the cemetery <laughs> as you could get him. His friends put together enough money and use some of what's left of his wealth at that time to build this very erect, very ornate 
headstone. His headstone has has like a profile edifice of him carved in marble that looks like his face on, on the side. They they have this giant lamp called the lamp of truth that they set <laughs> on top of it, also carved out of marble. The only word that appears on the tombstone is just the word truth. That's it. And then the main key block is a piece of granite with three letters, WCB, his initials, all sort of intertwined together on the back of the headstone. It's important to note that you don't really see a lot of granite tombstones until later. Not to nerd out on you too much, but granite is a, is a felsic rock. It's very hard to carve into. And so you don't have a lot of tools that enable you to do a lot of etching. Not until later. That's why all the tombstones are carved out of marble and why they're all pitted is because acid rain, carbonic acid rain in particular, causes them to sort of weather quickly. Anytime you see a granite headstone that dates back, those people had money. And notice the etching on the granite will be less than a millimeter deep because the tools at the time weren't the same as now. Bran has a, has a granite key, like cube piece, with his face on the front, lamp of truth on the top. One night, some people go out there and kick over, kick over some flowers that have been left for Bran and take out a gun and shoot his edifice. So if you look now, you go out to Oakwood, there's still a ricochet mark right on the temple next to Bran. I mean, even after he's dead. <laughs> and then it gets to where it's like a rite of passage for Baylor fraternity groups to go out and steal the lamp of knowledge off the top of his headstone. So like his headstone ends up getting messed with all the time. The lamp of truth would randomly just disappear. Uh, go away, and then it would always turn back up somewhere in Oakwood. It might turn up at the front gate. It might turn up over by Brand's headstone again. But just to sort of even reiterate that, when I started doing Storytellers Guild back in, I don't know, 2011, 2012, oh, the Lamp of Truth was still there, proudly. And it's been gone for several years now. So even now, Brand's headstone has been stolen yet again. It hasn't come back. It's probably at the bottom of the Brazos by this point. But the giant lamp of truth is gone. It's just now that one square little block of granite with his edifice with the gunshot on the front. I personally think that he, 120 years after he's been, you know, shot in the street, would take great pleasure, uh, great pleasure in knowing that he is still such a source of contention to a handful of locals that they mess with his headstone. It's like you can't do anything else. They're going to mess with his headstone. Later, and I can't remember if it's 1942 or 53, William Cowper Brand III, his grandson, came to visit Waco. And it was like a big to-do. The mayor gave him, had like a reception for him and, and uh, reassured everybody that, that he wasn't to be shot and <laughs> all this other stuff. And I mean, this is like 40, 50 years later. And it's just crazy. The thing I see, though, is local journalists in particular sort of get a little starry-eyed when they talk about Bran, all the way to the point that in the late 90s, early 2000s, maybe early 2000s, I remember Crawford, Crawford, Texas, had a little local newspaper pop up out of Clifton, which was even called the Lone Star Iconoclast. <laughs> and they would report on, you know, the baseball game at Crawford or Clifton and all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden started publishing all kinds of political things. This is also at the time when Bush was president. Cindy Sheehan would have rallies out there off Prairie Chapel Road. And suddenly the, the Iconoclast became much more of what the old school iconoclast that it was named after started to sort of act like and and the primary owner of it even talked about how he was he wanted to take some of those same initiatives about how the iconoclast exposed hypocrisies or things like that i mean you still see this sort of legacy in particular amongst certain journalists wanting to sort of make a statement though Though I don't always know if Brand's the best one to follow, <laughs> but he's sort of romanticized yeah. and vilified. It's like the populist, yeah. Yeah, yeah there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. Davis, we, we know, so he was a father of a Baylor student. Yes, that's And it's, right. so it's that offense that's driving him to... Yeah, yeah. I, I believe he yeah. had two at Baylor or something mm -hmm. to that effect, and he was defending the honor of his children, mm -hmm. which, I mean, keep in mind, this is also the same... 
this is the same time as lynch mob mentality still from time to time. Mm-hmm. Though I mean, it was a single person acting on their own accord. Mm-hmm. I don't really know of anyone who could insult my school enough that I'd want to shoot them in the back <laughs> in the street. Do we know exactly where this shooting happened? Yes. Mm-hmm. I believe right there on Austin. 4th Street, just the campus side of Austin, so east of Austin. Yeah, yeah so yeah. right about... So there's there's a historical marker there that you yeah, can kind of see. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So we've named a few places you can go to be a part of history. You can go to where they were shot. You can go see that gun in the museum. Yes, that's right. And then you right. can also go see his, his what's tombstone. The, what's left of his tombstone. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Right there, the front right corner of Oakwood. So as soon as you turn in, yeah, as soon as you turn in, first road that goes to the right in Oakwood, uh, way down. Oh, another fun thing. Um, it, for a while, it was a it was a geocache site. It was Brand's headstone. Like, you can still see what's left of the geocache site. The lid got taken off of it and all that. And uh, they call it Brand's Tree. And there's even a legend that Brand haunts the front part of the cemetery. There you go. Full circle. Somebody <laughs> told, hey, man, I got to throw back to my other episode, you know. <laughs> but I was even told by somebody this past Saturday when I was doing Storytellers Guild, uh, one of the people who was visiting and listening to me tell the story of Brand said they had looked to buy two plots at Oakwood up in the front corner. But we're told, just so you know, Brand's ghost haunts that that section <laughs> of Oakwood. <laughs> and they were like, who? What? You know, you know, William Brand, Brand's ghost. Brand's ghost haunts it and harasses people <laughs> in the front corner at Oakwood. And they say he haunts that tree that's right by his headstone. So that's why we call it Brand's tree. Though it was it was planted, I believe, considerably after he <laughs> would have been interred there. I mean, the mm. trees don't come along till much later. But it was just kind of funny that he's still vilified, or you'll know that he he did something bad, but nobody will ever really know the whole backstory. He just he was just writing in his in his nineteenth century equivalent of a blog and saying a bunch of stuff to get his subscription count up, and uh, he paid the price for it. It sounds like he got exactly what he was looking for, which is notoriety. Which I believe, I believe know, infamy. Infamy. Yeah. I think he was going after that. So beware clickbait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, is, that's a, this is what could happen. That's exactly right. It is funny how history repeats itself, and that's that's a thing now. You see so many of these, you know, trolls as we're talking about <laughs> it. He was kind of like the granddaddy of them all there. He was. He was ahead of his time in that respect. <laughs> so I, I've read kind of they did a good job of getting eyewitness testimony after the shooting, and I've read yeah. some of that eyewitness testimony where the the story was that Brand never missed Davis. He fired him fired at him, yep. I think, three times. They each got hit three times. Yep. And that Brand never missed Davis and continued to fire at him as he was laying on the ground. First shot knocked him down and he continued to shoot him. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Brand Brand was a dead shot, which was just to go ahead and pump up the male ego there. I mean, considering the fact that he didn't even own a gun. Yeah. But yet he he hit him square the first round with that forty one. Mm. Really says something. When you're talking about a gunfight and somebody who's just gotten shot in the back and isn't even expecting it, the fact he can turn around and take out his assailant like that that quickly you got to give the man respect for that then walks to the police station mm-hmm. <laughs> i love that's his what he would do like for me i'd be like oh my gosh i need to find a doctor and he's like yeah, he's i'm a, gonna make sure they get I, the story straight that's here. exactly right i'm gonna make sure <laughs> that i know everything and i have i have a quote one of my favorite quotes it's a compilation of quotes but here's one that's credited to bran where he says and this is from bran I walk the streets of Waco day by day, and I walk them alone. Let these Christians, and he spells it out as C-U-R-Dash-Ristians, Christians shoot me in the back if they dare. If the decent people of this community fail to chase them to their holes and feed their viscera to the dogs, then I'd rather be dead and in Hades forever than alive in Waco a single day. Like you said, Randy, he was asking for it. I mean, and there's always two proud pictures you see of Brand. One of them, one of them, he's sitting in his chair at his table uh-huh. or at his desk. That's the one you always see. Uh, the negative for that's at the Texas Collection, mm-hmm. and the other one's him all laid out, ready for burial. Uh, you always see him laying there in that in his in his house, which they called the Oaks. So if you go and Google him, you'll see most likely those are the two pictures that will pop up mm-hmm. over and over. Is him in his chair. Uh, taken not too long before he got capped, and then uh, him all laid out. It seems he didn't stick to just one medium. 
No, he, he even wrote several plays. I mean, again, he loved to write and he loved to express himself. And granted, I haven't read any of his plays or really many other plays if I'm confessing my <laughs> own ignorance on topic. Not because I don't like them. I just ain't had time. But yeah, he had registered three separate plays that he had written. In fact, in the late 1990s, there was a published play called Oh, Damn It. Uh, that Cover your was, ears, little ones. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. By Jerry Flemons, that is a one-man play, two-act, that features Bran. And it's like he's set at his desk, and he's got papers everywhere, and it's like he's taking questions. And it tells his story in dialogue and, and quotes him. You can buy the play and read it, and there's lots of like featured quotes, which have all kinds of different different little gems mm -hmm. uh, that Bran had that he went through and selected. I don't necessarily recommend yourself going and reading Bran's iconoclast pieces. You can you can go find them on Google. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they're all digitized. Yep, yeah. yep, they're there. And uh, Or if you really want to, go for it. But I, I like some of these highlights. Do you have any more quotes that are interesting as the one you read earlier? <laughs> Remember that God is everywhere, even in the church. <laughs> <laughs> That's a far less controversial quote. Life has a limited circulation and no assurance of a second edition. <laughs> These are all more, a lot more PC. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. So I have a question. Your lineage in Waco goes back quite a bit, right? It, it does. We don't get out much. Uh, <laughs> it's true. My family's been here for a long time. Do you uh, have any recorded instances of your family having any opinions of Bran? Not really. Uh, which kind of strikes me. Most of what I've heard, I heard this, the same way y'all are hearing it now, which was through a history book. And so I had always been told, even when I was a kid and we'd go to Oakwood, they would point out Bran's headstone to me. And then they'd point out Coke's tombstone where, where they face each other. They'd point things out and they'd be like, yeah, that's, that's the guy that got shot. And that, that, that's the guy that got shot. And like my dad would even say, like, yeah, they even shot his tombstone, too. But really, no, no family interactions or anything like that, which I won't lie, kind, kind of disappoints me. But being as how he's only here a few years, maybe they just were too, too scared of him or something. I don't know. <laughs> maybe they were at work that day. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, he wasn't in Waco very long. Yeah, uh -uh. yeah. But he is now. <laughs> Forever. So, Brad, as we kind of think about this time period, what does this kind of say about Waco during this time period, do you think? That's a great final exam question right there. <laughs> um, I think it indicates that you have, it should be noted that you have brand sympathizers. So you do see a very a very diverse reaction. You have people who are pro-brand and people who are anti-brand and very much so one or the other. You see him not really caring about anything to the point that even after he's beaten numerous times and knows that he is in danger, still is like, instead of saying, maybe I should just move on, maybe I should take my family, you know they're enduring harassment too, Maybe I should take my family and move. Instead, he's like, no, we, we bought a house. We're just going to stay here a little bit longer. And I mean, you see people sympathizing with him, and then you see people angry enough about him that they'll shoot him in the street, mm. that they'll tie him up and beat him up. I think it shows, as always, that there's two sides to every hot topic. And the longer he went, I mean, he... He's only running his iconoclast where people read it for two to three years. Mm -hmm. Like, that's it. Yeah. So if he's doing it about really not even that often, I mean, it's not like he prints it out every day. But the fact that he's having such an impact that quickly with what he says. The other thing we can learn is what you say in print usually has a lot more clout than what you say maybe on a podcast or, <laughs> or like on TV because what you say in print is then text searchable forever in our situation now. Mm -hmm. Well, at that point, those periodicals circle and circle and circle and circle, and you never know who they're going to catch. Once something usually runs on a media like TV, it runs once, and it's usually a once-and-done kind of situation. Mm -hmm. I think we can also learn that you still have lots of power in the printing of ideas. Uh, yes or no. Books tend to live a lot longer than speeches do. You'll read the speech, but you'll never hear it but once. 
Yeah, well, that's good. Did I get a B minus? I think that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, B's for B, Brad. B plus. B, B's for yeah. Brad. Oh yeah, I'll take that. I'll take an eighty-seven. <laughs> Heck yeah, man! I'll take an eighty-seven. Shoot yeah! I think that's a pretty good synopsis overall. Everyone knows about him, but no one really knows what he did. Go out there and harass his tombstone a little bit. <laughs> He'd like it. I mean, it's not like we were best friends or anything, but I have a feeling that guy would love it. We want to go out there and. I'll go out there and mock his tombstone a little bit. Yeah, I got a feeling his bones would be happy about that. Yeah, I just think it shows that there's nothing really new under the sun that you know we think about what's going on today, and it's very divisive. But there's been divisive politics and ideas forever. Oh yeah, I mean, keep in mind he grew up in a time period when people were shooting each other in war in the United States over political ideas and mm-hmm. economic institutions. Mm-hmm. And the the rights of what constitutes a human being and not. I mean, keep in mind, oh, it's always been that way. It is kind of funny, though. You hear people right now especially say, politics have never been so divided. And it's like, no, (laughs) you just don't remember much. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Brad, thank you so much for coming on again. I think the second time was even better than the first. Oh, hey, I'll I'll take that compliment and that B+. Hey, any day. I appreciate y'all letting me come on and... Have some history chats with y'all. All right. Thanks, Brad. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. We'll see you next time. I'm a as he dropped the guns that she hated in the muddy Brazos below. Cross The night came alive with gunfire He knew that at last it'd been found As the ranger's badge showed brightly El Bandito lay on the ground Carmela knew he was dying That all of her dreams were in vain As she kissed his lips for the last time She heard him whisper again Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco I'm safe when I reach San Antonio I'm safe when I reach San Antonio